Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. Today, we're discussing what items, experiences, and activities are worth spending money on as your child makes their way to college. Is it summer enrichment camps, chemistry tutors, clothing, cars, travel? What should you spend your money on? What I'm not going to do today is address how much money you should spend on college itself. That's a whole different ballgame that would take a long time to break down. So I'm going to leave that for an episode down the road. Today, I want to help you think about the best places to spend money in the lead up to college, all the way up to the day that your child leaves for their freshman year. And I want to make sure that I frame this the right way, because I don't want to assume that everyone listening has the same goal in mind, or that every student is on the same path. So for the purposes of today's advice, I am assuming that your child has the goal of being competitive in the college admissions process at selective colleges. And by that, I don't only mean the Stanfords and the Yales of the world. I mean the increasing number of colleges that are very competitive, selective, very selective, highly selective, and that you can't get into if you wake up in the middle of junior year and you decide you want to go to one of these schools. That's not happening anymore. That ship has sailed. Ask any of your friends who've gone through this process in the last two or three years. I know that's not the way it used to be, but we're in a new world. You are either engaged in this process in 8th, ninth, and 10th grade and paying attention what classes you're taking and what clubs to join and what to do over the summer, or you're not. It's that simple. The difference between students who are on track for college and those who are not has never been more clear. You're either tracking or you're not. There's not a lot in between. These days, I see three categories of students when it comes to competitive college admissions. There are those students who are not ready, those students who are ready, and those students who are super ready. You know, I and Preppel Academy tend to attract students who skew toward the ready and super ready category. But the basic principles are the same. So again, my advice today is for the students and families who think that college is the right path for them. They're motivated to make it happen. And they want to be in that ready or super ready mode when they hit 11th grade and they start thinking about and creating target lists of competitive colleges. Again, I'm not suggesting that this is the be-all and end-all, or this is the right or wrong answer for your child and your family, especially without knowing what kind of student debt they might incur for their trouble if they go down this path. But again, that's a topic for a different day. If your child is not planning 
to take this more traditional college path, then my advice would change, sometimes dramatically. I'll also be talking a lot about money and spending money and what to spend money on, and I don't mean to exclude anybody who may not have the disposable income needed to support some of the activities we'll be talking about. In fact, it's the opposite. Today's message is almost more important for families without unlimited budgets because they're the ones who have to make these tough decisions about where and how to put their money to work. The way I see it, there are four main categories of spending. Category one, academics. Category two, advice. Category three, sports. And category four, experiences. And we're going to go through each one of these, one at a time. Let's start with category one, academics. It is my contention that you should do everything in your power to pay for virtually anything related to academics. At a young age, coming up the ranks, this means books, books, and more books. And I know it's becoming increasingly rare to see a student with a book in their hand instead of a phone in their hand. That's what we're trying to work against. And for those regular listeners to this podcast, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me saying that spurring a love of reading in your child is your number one job as a parent. Full stop, period. I'm not saying this is easy, but it's worth every dime, nickel, penny, every second of your time. I have not seen personally a single factor that relates so directly to academic performance than how big or small a reader your child is. For my family, I have four sons. I'm, I'm batting probably about 700 right now. Two of my sons have crossed the chasm. They're avid readers. Ding, ding. One, at least so far, has missed the boat. And one who's right on the cusp, and we're trying to get him over the hump. And we have an understanding in my family. If you find a book that you're interested in reading and you tell me the title and the author, I will have it ordered on Amazon within five minutes. Period. That's my promise. And it usually gets dropped on our doorstep within a day or two by Amazon. No questions asked. We have a 100% unlimited book budget. Now, there are some strings attached. The most important one is if I buy it, you will read it. It doesn't sit on the shelf. Now, if I buy the book and it comes, I give them some time to read it, and then I quiz them. Who are the main characters? What's the setting? What's the time period like? Give me some plot twists, some surprises. I always verify whether or not they're actually reading the book. And so far, knock on wood, everyone's been on board. So if you can afford it, I would implement the same policy in your home. Thankfully, books are pretty cheap these days and highly accessible. $12, $15, $16 for a paperback book. They're worth their weight in gold. I mean, these days, that's what a burrito costs. Plus, it gets that phone out of their hands for a few minutes during the day. So that's a really simple one. Unlimited book budget. What else? Well, in my family, in addition to books, it might be an online course that costs some money, or a historical documentary that we have to subscribe to some channel to watch, or a trip to a museum. 
anything that can be tied back to something academic has a pretty good shot at getting funded. And believe me, my kids have gotten pretty good, pretty creative at tying nearly everything they want back to some academic experience. And that's fine with me. Thankfully, most of these expenses are relatively minor and sustainable. The reason I'm so generous on the academic stuff, other than just trying to raise intellectually engaged kids, is because academics play such a big role on the path to college. These days, extremely strong academics has become a given, not a point of differentiation. And if you're not tracking academically, your competitiveness in the selective college admissions process is over before it even starts. So this is not something to leave up to chance. Now, as the kids get older, the stakes get higher, both financially and with respect to academic benchmarks. As most of us know, to be competitive, you need very good grades. For many colleges, you need almost perfect grades in challenging courses, AP classes, honors classes, IB programs. So if your child wants to be in the conversation, they need to perform academically. And if this means hiring a tutor, then so be it. Hire a tutor if you can. I'm not suggesting that Everyone goes out and hires a fleet of tutors for every single class, but I am recommending that if there is a particularly challenging class, like a chemistry or a physics or a calculus, or a particularly bad teacher, that it might behoove you to find a tutor in that specific subject. Most of the students I work with, including my own sons, often need just a little extra nudge in one or maybe two subjects to make sure that they really understand the content. I'm talking about maybe one tutor session every other week or so. You know, it depends on how lost they are. Think of this as an insurance policy that hopefully will help your child stay on top of their studies. Unfortunately, unlike a $12 paperback book, good tutors ain't cheap. So you have to use those bullets wisely if you're on a budget. This also means that your child really needs to be on board and they really need to make those minutes count with the tutor. Make sure you have a conversation before you go down this road and make sure your child knows that this is a significant investment and that they need to hold up their end of the bargain. Which leads me to my last recommendation related to academics, SAT and ACT prep. I'm not going to go into all the different options when it comes to SAT and ACT prep, whether it's online or books or classroom or Khan Academy or one-on-one. I've dedicated full podcast episodes to this. But I will strongly suggest trying to fit this in to your financial allocation. I know most schools are sticking with their COVID-induced test optional policies, but don't fall for it. Do not hide behind this policy. There is a segment of the population who can take advantage of this policy by not submitting a score. But my guess is that your son or daughter ain't part of that population. So don't go there. I know it's tempting, especially for your kids. Do the work, study, prepare, and show what you know on one of these tests. And the reason I would put significant money to work in this area is because it still matters in admissions. 
And by the way, it also matters for merit-based financial aid, which might actually give you an ROI on that money that you spend. Since the test optional policies have taken hold, the only students who submit scores are students who score well on them. So if your child doesn't score well enough to submit a score to a particular school, they won't submit a score and they will be thrown into the category of non-score submitters, which is not where they want to be. Let me give you an example. Let's say the middle 50% of a school student body gets between a 1450 and a 1550 on the SAT. That's a pretty good range. Conventional wisdom dictates that an applicant should probably not submit an SAT score if it's not at least within this 50% band between 1450 and 1500. So if the student received a 1430, which is a great score, but just below the lower end of that 50% band, they would probably not submit their score to the school. Unfortunately, the admissions officer who gets that applications, they see no SAT submitted, and they're going to scratch their head and wonder why not. They can't tell the difference between the student who got a 1430 but didn't submit that score and another student with similar grades who got a 1030 and didn't submit their scores. They're basically the same student, even though one student performed much better on the SAT, but they weren't able to show it. This is why, if you have the potential and the motivation to score well on one of these tests, it behooves you to do so. It gives you leverage. Otherwise, you get thrown into the general pool of non-test score submitters. And that immediately puts you in the position of weakness. Even though the party line from all the colleges to say that it doesn't matter, they don't take that into consideration, it's just human nature to be affected by first impressions. Okay, to summarize, when it comes to categories of things to spend money on, academics gets a very high allocation, in my opinion. And even if buying books and paying for online classes and preparing for AP exams and taking an SAT prep class, if they don't culminate in you getting into your number one top choice college, that effort has certainly not gone to waste. That money will be well spent no matter what. Let's move on to the second category of things to spend money on, which is advice. I'm not going to dwell on this one because it's obviously self-serving since I'm an advice professional, and we've gone over this quite a bit. However, if you're not getting good advice, and you're not getting this advice early enough from a reputable source, you risk falling way behind the curve, spending money in the wrong places, and focusing on the wrong priorities. How much money should you expect to pay for good advice? Well, that depends on how much time you want to spend on this particular project how much you want to devote to learning about the process, how fruitful you think it will be to interact with this project intimately with your child for three or four years. In terms of dollars and cents, at a minimum, I would enroll your child in Preppel Academy, which is $15 a month, and which gives you weekly videos explaining exactly what you should be doing from ninth grade all the way through 12th grade. That's the absolute least you should do. This will prevent you from missing out on anything big. 
Now, beyond that, depending on how motivated your child is and how willing you are to help them on their journey, you can engage with someone like me or a different college admissions counselor on an hourly consulting basis to make sure you have all your ducks in a row periodically. You can schedule check-ins with me to make sure you have all of your questions answered and to get an idea of how your child is tracking and, and do an audit of their experiences. For an as-needed arrangement like this, we're talking hundreds of dollars. And lastly, if you want to turn over the entire process to someone like me or another admissions counselor who will help with college selection, essays, summer experiences, applications, letters of recommendation, interview prep, and the like, then we're talking thousands of dollars. Like anything else, you can spend a modest amount of money to make sure you're not making any of the big mistakes. You can pick and choose your spots, or you can go all in and invest significant money making sure that all of your bases are covered and that you're off the hook and that hopefully it's a transformational experience for your child. This spend can be from $150 all the way up to $10,000 or more, depending on the needs of the child and the family. Let's move on to the third category of things to spend money on, which is sports. And I'm going to ask you to make a distinction here. Is your child a recreational athlete or a serious athlete? Because the spending will change depending on the answer. If your child plays a sport as a recreational pursuit, in the same vein as they would with piano lessons or taekwondo or theater, then I would recommend spending money within reason to help them advance in their sport for however far they want to take it. Unfortunately, as you probably have figured out by now, rec leagues, recreational leagues in most sports are slowly disappearing. Because once you get toward fourth or fifth grade, the great separation happens. The best kids start playing on club teams or travel teams or all-star teams. And the not as committed or not as talented kids tend to stick with rec for another year or two until that rec league shuts down due to lack of participation. So the recreational sports path typically fizzles out on its own. On the other hand, with the serious athletes, things get pretty crazy pretty quick. Most of you know what I'm talking about, so I'm not going to dwell on that right now. In terms of how much money you should spend on this racket, I would think about it the following way. And there are a lot of caveats here to follow, so please let's, let's try to be patient here. Try to follow the bouncing ball. If money is no object for you, I know that's a big if, and you want your child to use sports to help them get into a college that they otherwise wouldn't get into, and your child appears to have the potential to be a college player at any level, Division I, two, or three, and it doesn't matter whether or not they get any type of athletic scholarship, then the answer is pay up. Make the deal with the devil. Pay for that new embroidered duffel bag every season. Pay for the travel, the hotels, the dues, the equipment, the personal trainers. Go all in. The reason you go all in, again, this is the caveat is money is no object, is because being a recruited athlete is one of the very few ways 
to have any control over the admissions process. As an athlete, depending on how well you manage the recruiting process and how good you are, you can often dictate where you want to go to school and oftentimes have great leverage along the way. This is in sharp contrast to being a generic non-recruited student who submits one of 150,000 applications to UCLA and hopes for the best. That's not a great position to be in. Now, is it worth spending fifty dollars to $100,000 during high school to be able to get to the point where you are a recruited athlete who has some control of their destiny? Maybe. Probably. Again, this assumes that money is no object. Now, let's make this a little bit tougher. Let's assume that money is an object and that you don't have an unlimited budget. Now what do you do? Do you spend like a drunken sailor and hope for the best? Or will you run out of money before your child even gets to college? Now, to make this decision, you have to think about the following questions. Question number one, does my child play a headcount sport that actually gives full athletic scholarships? And if they play lacrosse or water polo or soccer or many, many other sports, the answer is going to be no. Those are equivalency sports. The second question is, if so, if they do play a headcount sport, which gives scholarships, will they be good enough to get a scholarship to a school that they actually want to attend? Not just any old school, but a school that they actually want to attend. Now, these are brutally difficult questions that you have to think about basically when your child is in sixth or seventh grade. Because if they don't commit to their sport by then, and you don't commit to paying for it in a big way, then they will likely not be good enough to make good on that bet. So let me try to break this down again. If you don't have an unlimited budget, the only reason you should go all in on paying big money for your child's sport, as scary as that might be, is if... They play a sport that gives full-ride athletic scholarships that will eliminate paying for college completely, not a partial scholarship of $2,500 a year at a school that costs $85,000 a year. We're talking full-ride scholarships. And if you think they have a legitimate shot of getting there, getting that scholarship, being good enough. And by the way, don't forget that service academies like West Point and the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy, they fall into this category. They are full scholarship schools. And then some. Zero out-of-pocket expenses. And by the way, ROTC scholarships are pretty close to that as well. Not quite as generous, but very close in some cases. So to test your understanding of this and your instincts here, I'm going to give you a sample profile, and I want you to guess whether it's worth going all in on paying for their sports, assuming that you don't have an unlimited budget. Okay, here's the first example. Your son or daughter is a soccer player with Division I potential. Should you go all in or not with spending? The answer is no. Soccer is not a headcount sport, so there will be no full scholarship. The only people who would do this are the people with no limits to the money. Example number two, 
a lacrosse player with Division Three potential? Should you go all in with money or not? The answer is no. This is a double whammy, in fact. Division Three schools don't give athletic scholarships, and lacrosse is not a headcount sport. So the only people who would pursue this are the people who have unlimited money. Otherwise, you're risking getting to the getting to the end and running out of money and then not having any money for college. Third example, football player with Division I potential. Is it worth going all in with your finances? The answer is yes. Football is a headcount sport. So if they do get a scholarship, it will be paid for. And they do have Division I potential. That's when you risk the money. Let's try this one. A female gymnast with Division I potential. Do you go all in with finances or not? The answer is yes. For women, gymnastics is a headcount sport, meaning they could pay for your full college. And if they have Division I potential, it's probably worth the risk. And then lastly, you have a son or a daughter who is a rower with Division III potential. Do you go all in or not on finances? The answer is no. Another double whammy. Rowing is not a headcount sport. And Division III does not give scholarships at all. So the only people who would pursue this are people with unlimited money. It might be a great idea for them, but people who are on a budget, they should think twice. And lastly, let's move on to the fourth category of things to spend money on, which are experiences. One of the best things you could spend money on are experiences related to your child's passion. Because the truth is, if we can help our children find what gets them motivated, self-motivated, then which college they go to may be inconsequential. It may not matter at all. Or if it does, only marginally, because they know what they want. We've all met people who have found their passion, and no matter what college they've gone to or not gone to, they've found a way to make a living with it. That's what we're really shooting for. The whole college thing is nothing more than a way to give our kids a few more years to try to find that passion and purpose. And boy, can that be an expensive few years. So to spend money ahead of that, helping our children to explore things that they care about will be money well spent. Let's do this thought experiment. Maybe this will help. Which scenario do you think would help your child better find what they're interested in? Scenario one you spend $320,000 on a four-year college degree where your child decides to major in communications and graduates not knowing what they want to do with their degree. Okay, that's scenario one. Scenario two, you take that $320,000 and instead you underwrite four years of practical work and learning experiences for your child. You map out a few things they'd like to pursue, and you put that money to work. Maybe you put $25,000 into a cryptocurrency profile because your child thinks they might want to be a finance person or a trader. Or maybe $100,000 goes into a duplex that your child spends two and a half years renovating and then renting out while living in the basement. Or you spend 
$15,000 on a high-end digital camera that your child uses to shoot, edit, and market their own documentary. Or you spend $150,000 to purchase a Jiffy Lube franchise because your son is a crazy motorhead who loves cars, and now all of a sudden he's in charge of a small business and responsible for a P&L. Or you spend 50 grand to renovate an old fire truck into a pizza truck that services birthday parties and corporate events. And now your daughter, who loves cooking, is an entrepreneur. My point here is this. $250,000, $300,000 is a lot of money to spend to come out of college with a communications degree or a peace and justice degree and no idea what you want to do. Now, you may not be bold enough to allow your child to skip college and put that money to work in an unconventional way, as I just suggested. That would be pretty scary, but it may actually help them more, especially if they seem to be unengaged or not particularly interested in college. So the bottom line here is that if your child is showing a legitimate interest and passion for a particular career or vocation or lifestyle, do your best to fund that experience. You may not want to spend your entire life savings on it, but I would push the boundaries, especially if your child is motivated and chopping at the bit to do something special that they value. Okay, those are the four categories of things that I would spend money on. Number one, academics. Number two, advice. Number three, sports, with a whole bunch of caveats. Number four, experiences, with a bunch of caveats. How you allocate money among these four categories will be based on your child, your financial circumstances, and where you see the best ROI. But before I wrap up, I wanted to suggest a few things that I personally try not to allocate excessive money to with teenagers. Number one, fancy cars. Number two, always having to have the most cutting-edge smartphone or electronics. Number three, trendy clothing. Number four, sneakers. Number five, jewelry. Number six, computer games. Number seven, $10,000 on-campus college summer camps. Number eight, over-the-top entertainment experiences, like Coachella. Number nine, eating out at expensive restaurants. Don't get me wrong, these are all nice-to-haves, but if there's only so much money to go around, I'd rather spend that money on my kids in other ways. And by the way, this is one man's opinion. Parenting is a very unique endeavor. We all have different perspectives. We all have different experiences and aspirations and children, of course. But I hope this has given you some food for thought. If you'd like to chat about any of these topics with me, feel free to reach out. We'll set up a consulting session. We'll hash through it. If you haven't enrolled your child in Preppel Academy, I strongly suggest making that modest financial investment of $15 a month to make sure you at least have the basics covered. Think of it as an insurance plan. 
That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with a 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th grader, 12th grader that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with the tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends a link to this episode with a little personal note from you recommending that they give it a listen. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, if you want a consulting session, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.